Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up at the end of today's show, I'm going to ask you a very crucial question about Stipe and Francis Ngannou. I'm going to talk about what Colby Covington needs to do. And of course, the dork 
from UFC 258. But before that, let me tell you about Kamaru Usman's performance and how my weekend went. Do not tease me for how I look. Do not tease me for how I sound. I will tell you what, we are on, uh, we're on the grind a little bit out here. So back up, feel you what's going on in my life. But I was out in Vegas. I went out for the fights and I come home. And I knew this was going to happen. Storm, big storm in Portland and Oregon. And there's many parts of the country, by the way, like I don't expect you to feel bad for us. There's many parts of the country this would be no big deal. I will tell you, in Oregon, we are not prepared for that. We just don't get storms. That's just not a thing that happens. We've had a couple of weird things this year. The whole state was on fire four or five months ago. I mean, on fire. You could not see people being evacuated from their houses. So, all right, flip the script. Uh, Snow comes. But the big problem was it then rained for 72 hours and was never above 28 degrees. In In other words, freezing rain, which is extremely heavy. So not only the driving conditions, but now you've got, and you, Oregon is known for trees. If you're ever out here, our license plates have trees on them. Trees everywhere. So these trees got so much weight on them from this ice that they fall into power lines. So it's a mess. I mean, it's, you can't get around the roads. If you find a way to get in and out of the roads and you have the traction to then deal with the ice, wherever it is you're going, use home by example, you're going to have no power. So you kind of like this three-prong approach. And uh, so I'm in a hotel. I'm home, but I'm in a hotel. And I got the hotel just so I could talk to you guys, just so I could have some power fire up and digress everything that's going on in the world of MMA. But I thought I would disclose for you that um, Vince and Ryan and I, mean, we're doing the best we can with equipment. And here we are to come at you. And let's back up to the fights. So... Mainly one that I want to discuss, which is Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Now, we all, and I am guilty, have a habit of, as soon as somebody gets done fighting, particularly in a title fight and particularly a main event of a pay-per-view, coming and discussing this is the greatest of all time. We have that habit. Now, Kamara's going to have a hard time becoming greatest of all time when you've got GSP out there. However, he is closing that gap. He is very much closing that gap. I mean, truly, if you ever were discussed the greatest welterweight of all time and you don't say George St. Pierre, you now look like a fool. You will have lost credibility. Usman is the first guy ever where you could say and make an argument and nobody's going to not talk MMA with you again. Here's the thing. It wasn't surprising. Usman was a over two-to-one favorite. And I was in Vegas, so let me talk to you guys about the odds a little bit because I was surprised. I predicted that Usman would win this fight. Perhaps you join me in that. But he went off at like, I mean, it was almost two and a half. There was times in the week where it approached three to one. But the people at the casinos, and I was there, the people at the casinos were saying that that was fan money. That whenever they dealt with an insider, a fighter, a coach, somebody from the organization, that money was coming in on Burns. And you will have fights like that. And it's usually the inside guys that are right. I can remember back, uh, just by example, Chris Weidman versus Anderson Silva. That was a huge upset. But the locker room wasn't surprised. They knew who Weidman was. They knew it was a matchup issue. I mean, I just bring that match for you as an example. Weidman was also about a 3-1 to underdog. 
But the people that were in the industry and the fellow athletes were not surprised. That's what they were predicting. So at any rate, it was going the other way, and the, the athletes were favoring Burns. So I say that to you because, yeah, Kamara's not going to get this huge, oh, my God, I can't believe you just beat Gilbert Burns moment. He was expected to beat Gilbert Burns by the masses. However, it was so impressive how he did it. It wasn't surprising he did it. It was impressive how he did it because this fight starts. Burns comes right at him. Burns throws a right hand. It lands. Usman goes down. It was enough of a stumble and it was enough of, you call it a knockdown, right? His, hand, his hands touch, you call it a knockdown. So right when that happens, any other fight in the history of the sport says the dominant wrestler goes to wrestling. Every fight without exception, if somebody is hit, particularly hurt and knocked down and they are the dominant wrestler, they now go into full wrestling mode and they do it with an urgency. Usman elected to stay on his feet. He elected to stay on, not he stayed on his feet. Make sure you hear this word, he elected to stay on his feet and solve the problem. And the problem had to do with the power of Burns and that power didn't go away. But Usman was doing things. He began to control a fight with a jab. Every boxer or striking guy who ever comes into MMA, particularly on their very first day, are going to tell you how important the jab is and that you got to go to the body. I never see MMA guys throwing jabs, and I never see them going to the body. This is what you got to do, and, and this striking coach is going to be the new coach of MMA because he's the one that's identified it. Well, after about three, four, five months, that boxing coach is not saying that same thing. He realizes why we don't do jabs in MMA. I mean, he realizes why you've never seen a fight controlled with a jab, that it's just not one of those weapons. Realizes that it's power shots because of the small gloves. Realizes the problem with dipping, lowering elevation, and digging to the body. The guy's going to clinch you and knee you in the face. I mean, it's just one of these things that isn't as obvious from day one. The relevance is, though, I've seen two fights in the history of my life that were MMA fights that were controlled by a jab. George St. Pierre versus Josh Koscheck, part two, and Usman versus Burns. So when you're watching Usman elect to stay on his feet where he just got the short end of the stick, oh, by the way, he figures it out. Oh, by the way, turns out he's ambidextrous. He's going orthodox to southpaw back and forth. And oh, by the way, I should mention, he wasn't only hurt with that first right hand I just talked about. He was hurt two more times. There was a head kick that hurt him. There was a knee to the face and solar sternum that hurt him. He still stayed on his feet to solve this problem and then did. It was unbelievable. It was truly unbelievable to watch him reset. Kamara Usman has a mind as good as any mind I've ever seen for competition. He has an ability to reset. He has an he has immense amount of patience. And patience in combat is even more rare. I mean, I'll, first, I don't have it. Wish I did. Would have been a lot better. But I don't have it. It was too chaotic. There was too many moving parts happening very fast right now. To be patient. Usman can reset. And you can see it on his face. You can see his face every time he hits a reset button in a fight. Recomposes himself, doesn't worry about what's already happened, and doesn't worry about what he wants to happen right now. 
He is in the moment right now. I know those words sound simple. Guys, to do that in sport is incredibly difficult. And to watch Usman do it and then start to control a fight with a jab. I mean, even the ending sequence of this fight, when Burns went down, Burns went down from a jab. That's how hard Usman is hitting him. That's the power that Usman is generating. And it's a weapon we haven't seen Usman do before. We've seen him jab. We have never seen him control a fight. We've never seen him control a round with a jab. When you have the best in the world, and I've only seen this a couple of times, Henry Cejudo, guilty of it, John Jones, guilty of it earlier in his career, and Usman right now. Best in the world who between fights is getting better. The Usman that fought Burns, again, it, not surprising he won, but it was impressive how he did it. The Usman that fought Burns versus the Usman that won the Ultimate Fighter. The Usman who won the Ultimate Fighter gets stopped in less than seven minutes by the Usman that fought Burns. The best in the world is seeking new advice, new information. He did it in the form of a new camp and is looking to grow and expand. Expand the gap between himself and the field. And again, if the only talk that you can have is down to two and it's Usman and GSP, those are the things that George did. George never one time stopped or thought this is enough. I'm going to maintain and hold. George was always looking to extend the gap between himself and everybody else. I'm watching Usman do it. Guys, it's it's very difficult to verbally express how impressed I am with Usman and seeing this drive within him. He gets done with the fight. He calls out Masvidal. That's a hard night out. That's the BMF, period. So the champion of the world called out the hardest guy and was angry when he did it. Had a chip on his shoulder, something that Usman had said about him somewhere and it got to him. I would imagine there was a lot of things and it probably came through social media. That's not the point. The point is the champ was angry. The champ was not content. The champ was not complacent. And the champ called for a fight against the BMF. We'll see where that division goes. But if you come away with anything after watching Usman on Saturday, anything less than stunningly impressed with how he has improved after already being the best. When I talk about Colby Covington was the closest and the hardest, that's 100% true. But the gap down from Colby, closest anybody's been is Masvidal. Masvidal lost all five rounds according to two official judges and won one of the rounds according to the third judge. And that's the second closest match Usman's ever had. I mean, you you got to wonder at some point, what would you do in that situation? If you're the top of the bill, you're the champion, you got a jackpot full of money, are you still motivated to get better? Are you motivated to continue to work as hard to make sure the gap is growing between yourself and the field when the gap is already four rounds to one? I mean, I I guess you could do what Usman's doing and go get a whole bunch better, or you can just go, I'm just going to stay away from Colby for a little bit. Seen fighters do that all the time. Usman's not staying away from anybody. I was blown away. I was blown away with what I saw. I was blown away with with the hard work, the dedication. I was blown away 
with the interviewer. He was showing a chip in his shoulder and anger because you lose that with success. There's nothing you can do. It's human nature, but you lose that with success. Man, Usman was flat pissed off. And I loved it. Okay, so that's the deal with Usman. But I wanna focus on one question with regards to 170. What should Colby Covington do? What should he do? He's in a tough spot. Colby's in a tougher spot than you may realize in this regard. No one wants to fight him. Colby is allegedly being offered, alleged, I believe it to be true, but allegedly being offered the Leon Edwards fight. And Colby has come out and said, I got business with Masvidal. We're working on this fight. We're training for this fight. Masvidal knows all about this fight. That's the fight. I'm in the championship business. I'm not in the charity business, and that would be a charity fight. And by the way, don't come to me. This is Colby talking. Don't come to me thinking I should feel bad or this is my fault that Leon hasn't fought in a year plus. English fighters are fighting all the time. He's elected to not fight. Don't come and tell me that that's my fault or I owe him a fight. Now, it is interesting. I mean, Colby is in a tough spot, and he's looking to do hard work. He's not trying to avoid hard work. He wants to fight Masvidal. He wants to fight Usman. He's looking for something hard to do. To ask him to change his plans and go and do something on two weeks against a different style. I mean, sure, we can have a conversation here. Colby's not wrong. But Colby, where I was talking about he's in a hard spot, no one wants to fight him. They will fight him if they have to. Like, a cha- Usman will fight him if he gets called. He's not going to elect to go do it. There's nothing wrong with that. He already did it once. There's no, no one to blame here. But Colby's in a unique spot. The only guys that are going to call him out are so far separated from him in the rankings, in media attention, and your guys' mind. They're so far separated from him. They're just trying to get their name attached. It's one of those things. That's fine. But it's one of those things. These guys don't want to fight him. So I look at it and go, look, if you got Leon, okay, who's ranked number three, And even if he's only saying yes, it's because he needs to fight. And by the way, it's this date and he's already got a plane ticket and whoever can step in there at this point is good enough for Leon. Even if that's the reason why you can get the fight, I lean towards take the fight. I lean towards that. I lean towards it. I've seen so many guys. And the only regret that they have is that they didn't do more matches when they could do matches. And Colby is plenty young, and I would argue not even in his prime yet. He's already been a champion. I would argue for you he's not even to his prime yet. But it's coming. And you never know how long you stay there. And then you compete even on the backside of your prime while you're lying to yourself that you're not there. Maybe you don't recognize it's one of these things, but the window goes very quickly. He's always in great shape. He's hungry. He's mean, but he also has a very clear idea of what it is he wants to do. And in this sport, if you cannot adapt or you're unwilling to adapt, the sport will move on and time will move on and you aren't competing. So it's one of these things where I want Colby to really make the right decision. I don't know what that is. He's a smart guy. He will figure it out. As I see it, though, it's important that Colby does understand the right fight is not going to come along. You're going to have to make it. I mean, in many ways, to get a main event right here, Leon, 
who Leon has told the media that he has been told by the organization, you win your next fight, we will give you a title fight. Now, I understand that was supposed to be Chimaev. There was a lot of hype and there was these other things, but I think that Leon is in a very good spot. And I, I think that that's very fair that the promotion told him that. But it also tells you something about where those uh, title shots are going to go, that there's going to be a period of time. So you're going to have to do something. And Colby, I think, for you guys, is a very aggressive and, and cocky or brash guy. I will share with you, what Colby is, is a hard worker with big dreams. That's what he is. He is not arrogant to the fact that I feel that he is missing that people are scared of him. They don't want to fight him. And Colby's style is a painful style. Colby's going to hurt you. You could beat Colby. Colby's going to hurt you. He's one of those guys. You're going to get hurt in this fight. He's just rough and he's on you and he's there nonstop. And the only time he uses his wrestling is to get position so he can go back to pounding. He's not a grappler. He is a striker. He will just strike you from being on top of you. Colby is going to hurt. It's one of those things. I don't know if Colby knows enough. I don't know if Colby knows that about himself. I don't know if Colby about himself knows these guys don't, these guys are scared. It's a long, painful night. It's, it's, so he's going to have to take the matches he can, he can get when he can get them. I give Leon all the credit in the world, but I will share with you privately. I, I, I don't know that I believe that Leon would have taken a fight with Colby had it not been under these circumstances. Hey, I've been out for a period of time. I got, I got to have this date. I got to meet this date. I got bills to pay. I have to work on this day. I don't know that he would do it. I, I want Colby to see that as an opportunity. But it's an opportunity where Colby could become a victim of his own success and in some ways is there now. That's what it is, when Colby, when you want to fight and the promotion wants the same fight and this guy is refusing to do the fight, right? There's a major compliment being handed to you. But don't think that's the only guy that doesn't want to do it. That's going to spread. That's a microcosm. That's going to spread through the whole division. How are you going to get fights? What are you going to do? Tough question. Tough question. Tough question to answer. So on ESPN on Saturday, and this is in the wake of Usman looking so great and breaking a record. He was tied with St. Pierre for a record, but he, he beat him. Most consecutive, something like this. Whatever it was, though, grabbed one of George's records. George has plenty more, by the way. Don't feel bad for George yet, but Usman grabbed one of them. So we were asked a question. Who are your top five welterweights of all time? And Brett gave an answer, and Megan gave an answer, and I gave an answer. John Anik went last. And all of our answers was very close to the same. All of us put George at number one. All of us put Usman at number two. I then, and I largely interpret this question on anybody the same way. It's not the question. It's my interpretation. I think my interpretation might need revised. But I am largely looking for guys who aren't doing it anymore, where the body of work is done and we're staring back on it. So I had Johnny Hendricks on that list, rounding it out. I had Robbie Lawler on there. And then out of nostalgia and purely out of respect, you put Matt Hughes on there. That was a different time with different level of athletes. But he still did it at a period of time. And that was my list. And so John Annett comes in last. And John basically had the same names we have except one, and that was Colby Covington. And John said, not only do I think that Colby Covington is one of the best welterweights of all time, I believe he's one of the best fighters in the sport today, pound for pound. Now, that was a huge compliment. Huge. 
particularly coming from John Anik, because John Anik has the best seat in the house. Aside from the referee, nobody can see this action quite as close. And Anik weighed in on that. He said, guys, I have been there when Colby fights. And to hear, to hear the power that he's putting into these shots, not to mention the volume and frequency with which he's doing it. He said, I don't, not only do I have Colby as a top welterweight ever, I am as one of the current best pound for pound. All John is doing is proving the point I'm attempting to make right now. What people are scared of him. And Colby, as he's making his moves, needs to start to understand this. It's not going to be easy to get a fight. If there's a fight there and this is what you want to do, at some point, whether it's the match you wanted or not, at some point, you got to go do the fight. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by one of my favorite nutritional products, Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. Guys, I live a pretty busy lifestyle, even during the pandemic. I'm grateful. MMA never really slowed down between the podcast, TV, work from my home studio, and on the road, coaching, family life. It's been challenging to maintain healthy nutritional habits, and to be honest, I've never really been a fan of eating my vegetables. I know that's not what you want to hear from Uncle Chael, but it's true. This is where Athletic Greens has helped me and hopefully can help you too. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotics, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase our energy, our focus, and help with digestive and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. That's why it works for me. It's hard to remember to take my daily vitamin and get enough veggies to keep old Uncle Chael up and running on all cylinders. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop. It's simple, easy, and guys, it's delicious. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on the taste. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system and during these winter months, it's offering my audience only one free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, you'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and get your one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. You'll basically never need to buy vitamin D again. Let's take a quick, uh, let's do a quick overview of the whole card, okay? Emphasis on Macy Barber. So Barber goes out and fights Grasso, 
And once again, Barber has found a way to steal the headlines and be talked about more at the press conference than the girl that she fought who beat her. That's not fair to Grasso. I'm just sharing with you that's done. I didn't make it happen before you're mad at me. I didn't make it happen. I observed that it happened. Macy Barber, even if on accident, and every now and then an athlete just gets anointed as this marketing queen in her case. I mean, the Diaz brothers who have been nothing but short, nothing short of wonderful ad marketing, I swear is on accident. I do not think that those two have a plan, but if you went back and looked at it, they, just, they don't miss, right? There's some, it just works. Masvidal. Masvidal is going to go steal every headline, and it's not going to matter if he wins or loses, but I do want to point to you guys to Macy Barber, because you'd better get used to her. doesn't matter if she's lost two in a row. She lost a hard fight in a co-main event, and she's extremely young. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. I loved the way that she fought. And I loved it because it was so bad in the first minute. And it was so good in the 15th. Now, hear me out. Macy had three things coming to this fight that were all question marks. Quite simply, coming off of a loss. Coming off of an injury. Switched camps. Any one of those things is enough for a storyline. Two of them, eh, you're up against it. It's the baseball rule. You got three strikes, you're going to be out. But these were question marks. How was she going to do psychologically coming off of a loss? How was she going to do physically coming off of an injury? Taking a year off or taking a year off being hurt, you're having a totally different conversation. Because now what you're talking about is you're not training. So you aren't maintaining, getting better skill building. You're going the opposite way. And once you can get off the couch and get in the gym, you've got to climb a hole just to get to even, right? An injury is totally different. It's a totally different layoff. So when Macy comes out, she looks so bad in the first round, guys. She gave up position like she's never given up position before. In the second round, she doesn't give up position, but she was throwing air balls by six and eight inches. She was throwing combinations. A lot of people throw a jab out from way away. They never made it. They loosen their body up. You don't throw the combination unless you think you're going to hit something. She would miss all three punches by half a foot. That's how off she was with range, okay? By the third round, it was a perfect performance. By the third round, nothing missed. Nothing. She wanted to go for a takedown. She's in deep, pushing into the fence at a minimum. Every strike is landing. All of her defense is on point. And what, what happened there is we watched her work off the ring rust in front of our eyes. She literally, in the first round, didn't know where she was. In the second round, was kind of trying to figure out. By the third round, hitting it out of the park. And I've seen that another time. I'll give you guys an example where that happened. Did you guys see Fabricio Verdum versus Alexi Olenek? It was the same deal. Doom looked terrible in the first round. He looked a lot less terrible in the second round. He looked great in the third. He was, he was figuring it out right in front of our eyes. And the audience can't appreciate that without knowing what they're seeing.
without knowing why is one round one so much different from two and three doesn't look anything like the rest of the fight. That was what Macy was figuring it out as she went. And if that would have been four or five, I mean, you could play that game a lot, but if that would have been four or five, I mean, Macy was really fighting out where she was at. Macy looked great. She looked great. She also looked terrible. That was the first round. She, she worked it out. Macy worked it out. I think it's one of the reasons that her stock is going up even in defeat. Every time I talk about Macy since that fight, including privately, just talking with a friend or something, I have to remind myself she lost. Go, wait a minute, you know what? She actually lost that fight. It's one of those things where she looked that good. Now, all the praise I just gave her, please, give more to Grasso. Absolutely. Grasso deserves a ton here, too. Not to mention Grasso, first co-main event. All the eyes are on her. How is she going to deal with that pressure? She dealt great. Well prepared. Well studied. Had a storm come at her in the third round. Dealt with it. Grasso did great. I'm just sharing with you one of the reasons that Macy is still on the tip of everybody's tongue. And even Dana White came out at the press conference and said, very big on her. Was big on her this morning, be big on her tomorrow morning. It's for the reasons I just said. She was rusty. She was hurt. She'd been out a while. Coming back, she was rusty. She worked the rust off right in front of our eyes. And I, you know, I got to give something to Ricky Simone here too. Ricky Simone is, is, is my teammate. And I've always known how good he was. All us guys in Portland know how good he was. Special. He, he's special good. He's doing stuff. I can remember when Anthony Pettis made his run, but Pettis was doing things that the sport hadn't seen. And they were slight. They were athletic. They were flashy at times, but they were also new. Pettis represented at one point in his career the new wave of MMA, where guys would watch Anthony and then go into practice on Monday, grab a partner, and start doing it. Go, hey, did you see Pettis do this? Did you see how Pettis did that? Ricky has an element of that to him. Ricky is doing things that other guys aren't doing. I could point them out specifically, but I don't want to. I don't want to. If, if some guys aren't figuring it out and you're in the field and you're watching this, you're on your own there. I'm not, but he is doing some things that is innovating a couple of different positions and techniques, not to mention he is in phenomenal shape. That sport, if you can weaponize pace, if you can go harder than your opponent, if you can be more present 12 minutes in than he is, it is a weapon. It's an intangible. Then you got this Julian Marquez. This guy's a dork. I loved him. I mean, right, the world's got some room for a dork. And when I say that, I mean that in the playful way. He looks like a badass. He looks like he's carved out of stone. And then he goes and smiles and talks. You know, he's just this nerdy guy. He got up on the octagon and he hugged the octagon before he stepped in the cage. It was one of my favorite parts of the night. He stopped at the octagon. Did you guys see this? He's right at the door and he, he hugs it. He missed it. But there was like his genuineness and his glow in his eye as he did it. He was happy to be back. And he goes out there and gets thumped. And he's getting thumped in rounds one and two, but he's getting thumped by a striker who all of a sudden shows up as a, as a grappler. I don't think that Marquez was ready for that. I wasn't ready as a viewer. So he's losing rounds. He's got to finish him in the third. By God, he did. Finishes the opponent in the third, gets on the microphone, and calls out a Valentine's date with Miley Cyrus. Now... You feel free to judge him. I'm not the Don Juan in the room. I don't touch that kind of stuff. But 
he did get he did get Miley Cyrus to respond. So he responded to her and now they have this back and forth and you got a guy that had been missing who never would have been on the main card of a pay-per-view. He's not going to not be on a main card of whatever show he does next. That much I can, for sure. For sure. He's just goofy enough, certainly tougher than hell, talented, quirky, sure, smart, you decide, but he's one of the guys that definitely stood out. What's more important when you're done? Particularly if you win, what is the most important? If you won, what is the most important thing? Well, to be talked about the next day. Marquez succeeded. Another big takeaway from this weekend is what went down with Kelvin Gatslum. 185, man. One, I got my eye all over 185. And that could be for personal nostalgia reasons. And I, I identify 185 as... Somebody said, hey, what weight did you fight at? That, that's the one I would bring up. Right? I go, oh, you know, middleweight. So maybe I care a little bit more about 185, but um, boy, I got my eye on that. And multiple reasons. There's a lot going on there, and I have a feeling that major opportunity is going to come knocking. And I'm seeing some guys that agree with me who are observing their own weight class, seeing what's going on, and making their plays correctly. I generally have to come and talk to you guys about how poorly these guys are. These guys are pulling Sandhagens on their own career. At 185, these guys are very alert. They're very astute as to what's going on. And it starts largely with what we're going to see in a couple weeks. Blahovich versus Izzy. How does Izzy do? And based on that, does Izzy return to middleweight? If he does, fine. Business as usual. Just looking to be the number one contender like everybody else. But if he doesn't, then you're now in a spot like they are at 155, where it's not just an opportunity for one, it's two. Two guys are going to get a chance to go and fight for a world title. So in that regard, you have twice the chances that you would normally have. And that's still terrible odds. This is a cutthroat hard sport. It's a hard business to get an opportunity in, but in all fairness, you just doubled your chances. And as I look at, at, at Till and Vittori, I'm going to tell you right now, Vittori's not going to be denied if he gets over on Till. He's just not. Vittori's just, he's just not. He's one of those guys. He's going to make sure he gets his, okay? Then you have Kelvin Gatstlum saving his career, looking incredible against a stud. Ian Heinish is a stud. That was a stud fight. That was a war. Kelvin, perfect timing. Kelvin, perfect conditioning. Kelvin, perfect understanding of time and space. Understanding early in that fight, we're going to be out here all night. Which means I need to gain favor with the judges. Which means I need to control X amount of run. I mean, the, the math, the algebra, the geometry, the trigonometry, the calculus going on in Kelvin's mind, breaking this fight down. I'm watching the whole thing happen. Smart enough to call for being the replacement fighter. I was just talking about Till Fattori. Kelvin's smart enough to call and position himself as a replacement fighter for Whitaker, Paulo Costa. Now, you don't have to put on your Colombo rain jacket to understand between the two matches I just said, 
yes, those are the two and the only two that are being looked at, but they are different. Paulo Costa, Robert Whitaker, that's the one. Whoever comes out of that is going to be in a very, very keen position. And I will go as far as to tell you, whoever comes out of that will be fighting for a championship in the absence of Adesanya's return. If Adesanya does not return and two new guys are going to go and fight for the belt that he left behind, the winner of uh, Apollo Costa and Robert Whitaker, one of them will get the guy, will be the guy. With that said, I cannot make you that same guarantee should Izzy return because now you lack parity. Just ask yourself as a fan, do you want to see Whitaker or Paulo Costa, who are extremely uncompetitive, fight Adesanya? Yeah, sure you do. But do you want to see that? Or would you rather see Vittori mix it up and get Adesanya? Would you rather see Till mix it up, have some parity, and get into Adesanya? You see where it becomes a problem. So even though the bigger and more premier fight that is going to get more eyeballs and more attention is Paulo Costa and Whitaker... Even though that's all true, the greater chances are going to go to the winner of Till Vittori. And now you have Kelvin Gatslam inserting himself back in there. So it's one of these things to watch these 85-pounders who had the respect enough for their own career to follow their own damn division, which shockingly, not everyone does. Shockingly, not everyone does. You know, by the way, Heinish, total stud. I knew Heinish was a stud going into that fight. I like him even more now. I mean, he was doing some stuff in that fight with Kelvin. It was the last time you've seen Ian Heinish lock on a Kimura and start to rip a guy's arm off, right? Oh, by the way, he did it twice. Heinish was fighting. And Heinish has spoke many... I'm not speaking out of school here, okay? Heinish has spoke many times to the fact that he did a stint at Rutgers Island. Go, man, what exactly gets you into Rutgers? My understanding, that, that's a pretty rough... Like, that's not a geographical location. I can tell you how you could end up in the state pen here in Oregon. Commit a crime against the state in Oregon. I, right, I can, but I think that Rutgers is a little bit different. I think that Rutgers is like for a select few of bad boys and they get, they get sent over there. But he spoke about it a number of times. He's never hit, has never been a secret. Nobody ever told me why. And Heinish is an old wrestler. Won a couple of state titles. I'm trying to think where. I believe in Colorado. But he even did some junior college wrestling in northern Idaho. Not too far from me. So somewhere along the way, his parents get divorced. He gets depressed. And somehow he falls in to selling ecstasy on the street. Well, he sold a lot of ecstasy. And when he was grabbed, wherever he was grabbed, there was something about 10,000. 10,000 tablets of this or 10, but 10,000 was involved. And so he avoided extradition, maybe even bailed out and jumped bail. Whatever happened, he was in some other country. He's sleeping on the beach. He's working a job and living on the beach. He's got nothing, knows nobody and realizes he made a mistake, you know, gets caught. So he does whatever he has to do where he gets picked up, and then they send him back, and the government's mad at him, and he ends up in, in, in Rutgers Island. So I only bring that to you so you do understand. I, I do feel that the story as to why he was there is somewhat important, because the speculation could be damaged. He was not a violent man. 
This was not a violent man who sought out to hurt somebody. This was, this was a 21-year-old that did some really stupid stuff as a 21-year-old and fully paid his debt. Fully paid his debt. Twice. We're square. We're square with Heinich. But he's also a hell of a fighter. He's a mean, he's a mean fighter. But he's a sportsman. The second that ref says stop, he stops. But boy, when that ref says go, he goes. And as I do look at 185, I'm not, I'm not ready to dismiss him just because he got beat. Heinish is going to matter in that division. The same as the loser of Till and Vittori, just by example. They're going to matter within that division. And the same with the loser of Costa and Robert Whitaker. We got some really interesting guys right now, and they're all vying for the same thing, which is to fight the baddest dude out there. Who is Adesanya? I mean, in all fairness, you, you've got five guys that are trying to fight the guy that John Jones didn't want to fight. And that's not a knock on John Jones. I'm complimenting Adesanya, and then I'm complimenting five other guys that aren't scared, that want the opportunity. And when we see divisions like that, we're drawn to them, and we praise them. Before I head out, I have to weigh in on next month's heavyweight title fight. Francis Ngannou went on a Rogan show, and he was weighing in specifically about his own takeaways from Stipe Part 1. And Francis is such a big deal. I mean, 2021, when, when this whole year's done, we could, if things all went well, I mean, that will be the, uh, the year of the Predator. If everything went well, and Francis becomes the champion by beating Stipe, and that would also mean that Francis beats John Jones, but if he does them all in this year, it's going to be remarkable. So hearing what Francis learned from part one, for me, is very relevant, because as I watched that fight, it went all five rounds, and Stipe won every facet and every round and every exchange and was never in danger. And doesn't look any worse to me today than he was back then and in some ways looks better. Now, if you were to pay Francis that same compliment and say, well, he's not any worse now and in many ways he's better, we still have to hear what's going to be different by putting these same guys in there to do the same thing. And the odds makers currently have Francis as a two and a half to one favorite. The first time I talked to you guys about this, when that line was first announced, Francis started at a two to one. It has grown to two and a half. So people not only think Francis is going to beat Stipe, they think more strongly that he's going to beat a guy who's already beat him, and I'm still left at how. And I need to hear it because I was never shown it. Right? Francis got taken down and held there. But I never then saw Francis in a fight where guys were trying to take him down and they failed. Or they got him down successfully, but he scrambled and got back up to his feet. If I was shown the answer and I was shown the improvements, I wouldn't need to hear it. Now I just have to hear it. And if you do go back and you watch Francis's fights, okay, they all have an incredible theme, which is Francis hit somebody. And he hit them harder than they were willing to be hit or able to be hit, and he knocked them out, which then begs the question, can Francis win if he can't hit you? And all of the greats, there's an answer, yes. Yes. Because there's intangibles. Yes, he can push the pace. He can get you tired. He can wear you down. He could always catch you with that guillotine, but there's always more answers. With Francis, there's one. Francis hits you, you don't get up. Francis hits you, you hit the canvas. Which still leaves the question, if Francis can't hit him, can Francis win?
Are you impressed enough with the clinch work? Are you impressed enough with Francis's ability to push hard? Have you seen fights where Francis has even done that or even been in a situation where he had to come from behind? It makes it a little bit tougher. I mean, I've been very surprised with the people that are partying with their money. And if they think Francis is going to hit him and knock him out, then I, I, God bless you. I'm not here to tell you differently. I'm just asking to get just a little bit deeper of an answer. If you tell me you think Francis that is, go is going to beat Stipe, I feel as though you're telling me Francis is going to knock out Stipe. That's how my ears hear it. If you say you think Francis is going to win, I don't think you're telling me it's going to be a long drawn-out decision and Francis is going to just push a little bit har uh, harder or just touch him a couple of more times. I think you're telling me Francis is going to knock out Stipe. And I think you then have to get even a little bit more specific if you're looking at Francis fights. He's going to knock him out with a left or a right hand. A hook coming from this side and an uppercut coming from this side. And it seems as though if you could deduce the big threats are the hands... And you got even more sophisticated, say it's a hook on this side and an uppercut with the other side. It would seem as though you need to first look out for hands or moreover look out for the hook or the uppercut. It would seem as though breaking this down isn't quite as complex. Now much can be said for Stipe. Stipe is not going to come out there and trick you either. He's got the good footwork, he's got the good boxing, he's got good enough wrestling and he can go all damn night. But that's not going to be a surprise. Both competitors are going to know what to look for. It seems as though the audience is the one that's a little bit surprised. It just goes, well, Francis knocks him out and that's it. Well, you, you, why? Why? Because he's faster? I mean, right, the one thing we know about Stipe coming in lighter than Francis is it allowed Stipe to outmove him. It just allowed him to be a little bit quicker for a little bit longer. And now Stipe, if it's in line with what he did with his, his last two fights with Daniel Cormier, comes in closer to 230 than he is to 240, I think it's fair. Maybe those takedowns aren't there. Maybe that makes it easier for Francis to get up off the bottom with those 10 pounds of muscle missing. I mean, I'm open to all of these debates. I would love to hear him. I'd love to have the conversation. I feel as though we just shut the book on all dialogue when we simply say Francis is going to win and that's it. Well, let's not do that. That could be true, but let's not do that. Let's have a little bit of fun before this fight comes up, and let's start with what is going to be different. How is he trained different? How does he view this different? And with what evidence do you have? And this would have to be a training room story because nobody's got on top of Francis since Stipe did. And I can't recall anybody, feel free to correct me, that even tried to get him down. They all seem to stand there somewhere in the pocket for a moment too long and wake up staring at the lights. All right, guys, that is it for today. If you're liking the show, remember, you can download and subscribe to Your Welcome on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Or maybe you've got a friend that's new to mixed martial arts. I would love for them to come check out the show. So you go do those things. I'm going to be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.